puppet king. And so, even though it wasn't like right there, they, they still believe that somehow that promise was not in vain, that that prophecy was still valid. Their, their, their God would not go back on his promise. Somehow he would keep his word and it would be fulfilled, even though they didn't quite understand when or how that would be. And the prophets before, in those centuries before Christ, they kind of repeated that, you know, they prophesied that there would be one. Um, think of Micah from chapter 5, verse 2. This is familiar, right? But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Um, Isaiah Chapter 7, verse 14. The king of Judah, he said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel. Later on in Isaiah, For us a child is born, to us a son is given. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and evermore. Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of its roots. Uh, Jesse, who is Jesse? Remember? Whose dad, whose father was Jesse? Remember? King David. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so in Isaiah, what, what's Isaiah saying is from the stump of Jesse, seemingly dead, the <laughs> stump's dead, from the stump would a bud blossom, a shoot will grow. Um, something, some shoot from the root of, of Jesse, from that line, okay? So these are these prophecies that are prophesying that, yes, what Nathan said is true, still true. Like, God's going to make good on this at some point, all right? Um, so the Jews held out that hope, that longing, because things are so bad, they, they, they longed and they waited. Okay, Mary, faithful Jewish girl, right? She would have known all these prophecies. You know, she would have known the promise of Nathan to David. Her heart would have been longing, just as a faithful Jew, <laughs> for this. Okay. And then imagine then <laughs> when the angel Gabriel comes to her, all right, um, and hears these words that, okay, God's going to see. God. Um, You will have a son. You conceive in your womb. Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. So he is fulfilling his promise to, to, to Nathan. Like these prophecies are coming fulfilled. And not only like, you know, it's happening someplace out there. And oh, what? Well, me? Like I'm the one to be the mother of the, of the king, of the Messiah. Like that's pretty remarkable. So. Imagine, you know, what was going through her in that moment, that excitement, um, that, that amazement, that shock. Yes, for sure. Um, just imagine that. Okay, so we have, we have Mary in this. Um, let's reflect a little bit on, on Mary herself. Um, it is most likely that, you know, when we hear the genealogies at Christmas, it's Joseph, right, the line of David. But it's also very likely, um, I don't know, there's evidence, not necessarily proof, that Mary was also from the line of David. Okay? So that would fit as well, right? Because Jesus um, 
he only got his human nature from from Mary. He didn't get it from Joseph. Legally, he got it from Joseph, which is a big deal back, especially in the time of of when uh, Jesus was was there. Um, but we heard a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Okay, um, she was betrothed, legally bonded bound to Joseph. This is important to realize because some people say, oh, Mary was an unwed mother. She was not an unwed mother. Okay? Um, she wasn't living with Joseph, but to understand, I don't know how familiar you are with Jewish marriages, they would be legally bonded, okay, in a ceremony, so much so that Joseph could call her his wife and she could call him her husband. In fact, um, I'll talk about that annunciation to Joseph Angel Gabriel says to him, don't be afraid to take Mary your wife, okay? Mm-hmm. Not the person who will be your wife. So they are legally bonded to each other. They just didn't live together. So that that's important. Um, how old was Mary? How old was Mary? Um, the the, the mm-hmm. common idea would be, you know, 14, 15, you know, 13, 14, 15, which is pretty young compared to our time. Um, how long do they stay bonded? So sorry, yeah, so sorry. So they have that ceremony. Mm-hmm. And then the man would go back to his home and get things ready there, you know, get his room ready, you know. They'd also have some exchange of resources, you know, dowry type thing. So all those kind of details. And then the groom would come back sometime to get his wife and bring bring her with him to his home. So that's how those parables like the the ten virgins, you know, they're at this party. They're, they're waiting for the bridegroom to come back to get the wife. And so um, so that's never, what's happening. You never knew when they were coming, right? Yeah, well, in the Jewish tradition. yeah, I, I don't know how, you know, they, they probably give them some warning, you know, hey. <laughs> but well, I don't know. be ready. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if I was a woman, I'd want to just get my hair done, you know. Before. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, Would it be like a year or? Yeah, up to a year. It could be. Yeah. Um, so that's, she was betrothed to him, legally bonded uh, to him. Uh, also, I, I think it's interesting for us to think about there's this comment, this popular song this time of year, Mary, Did You Know? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, and I, I don't want to, if you, if you love that song, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I'm not going to hurt your feelings. But, but there's questions here, and I think it's, kind of cool to think about some of these questions. I won't go through all of them. But remember, one, Mary was not God, but she was also, she was immaculately conceived, okay? So, for example, um, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Um, No, she didn't know that. She's not omniscient. She didn't know that, okay? Um, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Well, yes, the angel Gabriel told her that he'd save, uh, save them. Um, did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? Now, what do you think about that? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? She probably didn't fully understand. No, she, that's not true. She was already new. She was ah, immaculately conceived. Yeah. She, from the moment of her conception, she was spotless, no original sin, no concupiscence, none of that, okay? So that's just like, not even a, that's like a heretical question. Like we, you know. You can't even ask that because she was already you, you know? Yeah. Um, The child that you've delivered will soon deliver you. Again, no. (laughs) She's been delivered. (laughs) We celebrate next week the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. 
um, the dogma that Pope Pius IX in 1854 declared. By a singular grace, from the moment of her conception, she was preserved from original sin. Okay, By the merits of that God foresaw in Jesus. So it's, it's still through Jesus. She didn't deserve it. Free grace. But because of what Jesus would do in the future, God can take the merits, which he did, of that and applied it to her beforehand, made her immaculately pure to be that pure Ark of the Covenant, that temple for for Jesus. Okay. Um, we know that in here, this is um, the, the um, English Standard Version, I think one of the, the better versions or translations. Except for this part, it, it says, ha- you know, you probably were um, a little um, caught your ear when I read um, the angel Gabriel said, um, hail favored one, right? Rather than full of grace. I think full of grace is a better translation because the idea is there's this past past having been accomplished, just having been graced in the Greek is what it's saying. It's like, there's you're not just like chosen, you're not just, you know, favored, but that's part of it, but no, you have been graced. Like there's a fullness to your grace. Something has changed to you already. You know, the angel Gabriel is recognizing something objectively about her at that point. Um, just again, it's um, evidence of what we believe about the Immaculate um, Conception. Um, going back to this whole episode, one of the great uh, readings in the Office of Readings during Advent is St. Bernard of Clairvaux. And he talks about kind of, all of heaven, the angels overlooking this episode of the angel Gabriel to Mary. This is what Bernard says. Tearful Adam, with his sorrowing family, begs this of you, O loving virgin, in their exile from paradise. Abraham begs it. David begs it. All the other holy patriarchs, your ancestors, ask it of you as they dwell in their country of the shadow of death. This is what the whole earth waits for, prostrate at your feet. It is right in doing so. For on your word depends comfort for the wretched, ransom for the captive, freedom for the condemned, indeed salvation for all, the sons of Adam, uh, the whole of your race. So they're waiting for Mary to say her fiat, you know, like so much depends on whether what she's going to say. And uh, she says, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Um, I had the opportunity. Anyone been to the Holy Land ever? Um, the Holy Land and Rome are the two places I wish, hope every Catholic could go to once in their life. And one of the places is the uh, is Nazareth is the where the Annunciation took place, where this episode. And I could just think of just think of that moment of the infinite, um, all powerful, um, always living uh, God of the universe when He becomes incarnate in a single cell, you know, in him. I just think of like, if they had special effects, like, you know, that moment, uh, how powerful that the infinite becoming finite or the infinite taking on the finite, uh, human nature, uh, unbelievable. What happened in that moment uh, by her saying her, her fiat. Okay. Um, it's also, I think interesting to reflect on who there's another person who had, a little occasion, an encounter with the angel before Mary in the gospel. Who is that? Remember? Another, what? Elizabeth. Her husband. Oh. Oh. Zachariah, right? Yeah. And 
you notice they had seeming similar responses, but they're different because what happened to Zechariah? <laughs> okay, so um, what, 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 let's see what um, Zechariah said to the angel. How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Okay. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things took place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in no time. Okay. But Mary, right, what, what does she say? She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Okay. Now, is Angel Gabriel just taking it easy on Mary, you know, because uh, she's a young girl. Okay, I'm not going to, you know, punish her and, or because, you know, Zechariah knew better. Like, no, there's quali- a qualitative difference in their responses. Zechariah's was a unwillingness to believe. Okay, how shall I know this? I'm. How can I believe this? All right. Yeah. Where Mary's is, how shall this be? How shall this come to be? Okay. Hers is faith. It's she believes, but she wants to come to a deeper understanding. And again, it it does have to do with faith. Um, I don't know how often you think about this, but faith is everything we believe. Faith. Faith is based off an authority. We believe not because it makes sense. not it, I mean, that's helpful. But we believe because God has revealed it and it has been proposed to us by the Catholic Church. Um, that, that's why we believe it. And that the Church cannot teach anything that is untrue. So we believe off the authority. That's what faith is. Now what's beautiful is we can think about like the gifts of the Holy Spirit. One of it is, is um, understanding. So it's good to understand. It's good to study and stuff, right? But to realize what we believe is based off the authority. And that's a beautiful thing, right? So you can say, you know, some some poor peasant farmer in, you know, the 1700s in the middle of France, he can have just as much faith as, you know, some hoity-toity, you know, theology professor, you know, at some major university. Because he believes that peasant farmer believes in Christ and that his church uh, that he founded and whatever the church teaches, I believe, because she can't teach error in that way. Um, so again, Zechariah, he's not choosing to believe. He's not believing that, um, and that's why he's muted. Whereas Mary, she believes. She's just seeking under deeper understanding. And in fact, that's the definition of theology: faith seeking understanding. So in a sense, she's doing theology there. <laughs> Believing, but trying to come to a deeper. Christ always talks about having faith and not seeing. Yeah, for sure. And that is yep. part of your faith is not seeing; mm-hmm. it's just believing in it. Can we go further back though, like yeah. Abraham and Sarah? So, yep. what, how did he question the Lord when Sarah was too old to conceive? Was it the same type? I mean, nothing happened to him. Yeah. So, was it more like Mary? Like, how well, was I, this? Was it? Yeah. Like, um, I don't even know. Can think about that. Um, first of all, like Abraham is held up in the New Testament, right, as a, a, by um, a great example of faith. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't necessarily know in that moment. I think he's held up as a model of faith when he takes Isaac up the hill. You know, he's willing oh, to trust yeah. more so, I think, than maybe that original. I'd have to look closer, yeah. but that's a good question because um, St. Paul talks about um, Abraham being an example of, of faith by 
by what he did and followed. Um, the first part kind of what what and what does Sarah do when she hears that? She's kind of off the side. She laughs, right? Because she's like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it'd be worth you know looking more look deeper that exactly. Um, and so again, also to think about what was Mary saying yes to? She had some idea what the angel would say, but again, she's not God. She didn't um, foresee the future. You know, she she would go to the, the temple. And Simeon would say, a sword of sorrow will pierce your heart uh, to reveal the thoughts of many. So slowly by slowly, I think she had a greater view of things, but she didn't know, I think, ultimately all the pain and sorrow that, that she would go through. Um, yeah. What's that? You don't know that until you've been a mother. Yeah, you exactly. The sorrow and the happiness that that provides you, yeah. you know, comes to you. The last thing I'll um, read from the kind of about Mary, this is from Benedictus. It's kind of neat. It's day by day with Pope Benedict, little things every day. And he's talking about um, the Annunciation and Jesus being born of a virgin. He says, quote, We must ask ourselves, what is the real reason why Christ decided to be born of a virgin? It's this. Salvation comes not from human beings and their own powers, but solely from God and his gracious action. God intervenes when there is a human vacuum. He starts at the point at which, from the human point of view, nothing can be done. For example, he gives life to the bearer of the promise in the dead womb of Sarah and follows the same pattern through history down to the Lord's birth from the virgin. It's this, the salvation of the world is exclusively God's doing and therefore occurs in the midst of human weakness and powerlessness. From the viewpoint of the Bible, the virgin birth is, in the last analysis, a sign that what occurs is a pure act of grace on God's part. Shows that, like, yeah, we didn't do any of that. I mean, Mary said yes, she needed, but pure vacuum, you know, no no, uh, natural means by um, conception there, just pure God's grace um, bringing that to us. Yeah. Should we move on to Joseph? We can talk more too about Mary at the end. Um, so there's there's basically two annunciations we like to talk about. Yeah. Annunciation to uh, Mary, which is in the Gospel of Luke, and the annunciation to Joseph. What gospel is that in? It's not Luke. So you got one out of three, thirty three percent chance of guessing the others. Matthew. Matthew. Cheryl's looking at my Bible. Yeah, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. But that would have been smart, too. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to send her away quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is is with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, 
but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So I think last year was the year of St. Joseph, right? Um, any of you do any of those uh, consecration to St. Joseph now? Yeah. This, you know that book? Have you seen that? Yeah, beautiful book. Um, and I was listening to a talk about from one of my previous professors on St. Joseph, and he said this. Think about this. Like, God becomes man, or God the Father sends his son um, into this world. <laughs> you need that son to actually grow up, um, proclaim the kingdom, teach, do miracles, gain followers, you know, give authority to uh, these men to send them out um, before he dies, you know, suffers and dies, okay? So you could have done any ways to protect him to make sure he would get to that point. You could have done like these, you know, put him in like this this force field bubble, you know. Like, <laughs> what did what did God do? He gave him a father. <laughs> That's what God the Father did in order to protect Jesus. Could have done all he could have. You could have sent sent like thousands and thousands of army soldiers, you know, just to surround him to keep <laughs> make sure he's safe, right? What did he do? He didn't do that. He didn't have lasers always above him, like shooting anyone who would come near him, you know. He gave him a father, St. Joseph. St. Joseph was the means that God gave to protect, raise, so that God's providence's plan would be fulfilled. Pretty remarkable to think about. Yeah, very good point. Um question that comes with St. Joseph. How old was he, right? How old was he? And those who read this, you know, uh, Calorie likes to think of him uh, younger, right? Um, first of all, why is he usually depicted as older? A couple reasons why he's usually depicted as older. One, he apparently died before Jesus began his public ministry, right? Because public ministry, we don't hear anything about G- Joseph. There's no reference to him, okay? So, that would seem to indicate the idea is, okay, he must have been older and then died, you know, before, you know, Jesus was 30 and went as public ministry. The other reason he's usually depicted as older is wanting to preserve the idea of Mary's virginity, okay? Um, where do we get this from? This is from the Proto-Evangelium of James. So it's not canonical, but we do get a number of things we tend to believe um, are, are evidenced in this Proto-Evangelium of James, such as Jochum and Anne. That's one of the sources where we get their names from, is from this Proto-Evangelium, this um, Gospel of James. Um, this is written much later than the other Gospels, probably and un- un- wasn't written until the end of the second um, century. Okay, And in this writing, it speaks of a search for older, older widowers who could be betrothed to Mary, Okay, so to protect her virginity. Um, also, so so that's kind of the idea. That's where we get this idea um, from the Proto Evangelium. Speaks of Joseph being older. You know, what's that? Yeah, um, Saint Jose Mar- Maria Escriva, the Spanish saint, founder of Opus Dei. Again, he's one who likes to partic- think of Joseph being younger. He says this: I don't agree with the traditional picture of Saint Joseph as an old man. Even though it may have been prompted by a desire to emphasize the perpetual virginity of Mary, I see him as a strong young man, perhaps a few years older than Our Lady, but in the prime of his life and work. Okay. 
Mother Angelica. I hope. I hope. Mother Angelica. What did she say? She always liked as younger. Yeah. She didn't like that. So they had a, someone called in, and this is uh, called in. It said, Mother Angelica, do you think Saint Joseph was young or old? And she goes in her, you know, snarky way. Well, my dear, that's a good question. There's no official teaching on whether Saint Joseph was old or young. But I prefer young Saint Joseph. All I know, sweetie, is that old men don't walk to Egypt. <laughs> so, you know, whatever I did, like I did this last year, and, you know, some of the older men are offended. And like, okay, yes, I know you, you're very capable. Yes, okay. <laughs> um, so even to consider the distances, sometimes we don't think of that. A trek from Nazareth. So um, Nazareth to Bethlehem, first from, you know, they had to marry in uh, Joseph had to go to Bethlehem to the census to give birth. All right. Um, that's 80 miles. Then after that, from Bethlehem, they went to Egypt to escape, you know, King Herod. That's at least 60 miles. And then from Egypt back to Nazareth, that's at least 140 miles. Okay. So that's a long distance. Um, Fulton J. Sheen says he doesn't agree with old Joseph. He's critical of the idea that you have to be old to be chaste. Okay, I think that's that's beautiful, especially as as a priest. Yeah, I would say that's that's one of the things too. It's like you don't have to be old to be chaste. Um, let's see what he said here. It's, I love this. He says this. Um, Art unconsciously made Joseph a spouse chaste and pure by age rather than virtue. But this is like assuming that the best way to show that a man would never steal is to picture him without any hands. Right? So, okay. He's never going to steal because he doesn't have any hands. Like, all right, we're going to protect the Virginia by making this guy have no libido, no, you know. Yeah, old, exactly. Um, so in their, yeah. in their day, if she was somewhere between 12 and 15, let's say, yeah. the people that prefer him to be young, what age group are they saying he would be? Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, yeah. So Jose Maria said perhaps a few years older. <laughs> so then what him. would be considered in that day old? Yeah, I don't know. Because some people were yeah. 900 Good point. some people were... It would probably be, you know, I would say into the 40s, you know. Okay. okay. You know, past kind of, you know, you're a, a man, you know, desiring to be a father. The that's day, the idea. When yeah. Jesus died around 33, yeah. was he considered young? Was that still young? I think so, relative, yeah. Okay. Middle prime of his life. Right, so yeah. if dad were 40, yeah. 50, yeah. yeah. 50, yeah. okay, yeah. To make Joseph appear pure only because his flesh had aged is like glorifying a mountain stream that has dried. The church will not ordain a man to his priesthood who has not his vital powers. She wants men to have something to tame rather than those who are tame because they have no energy to be wild. It should be no different with God. And then maybe this is the last one I'll say. Um, since Mary is what, this is Fulton J. Sheen still, since Mary is what called might be called a virginizer of young men as well as women and the greatest inspiration of Christian purity should she not logically have begun by inspiring and virginizing the first youth whom she had probably ever met, Joseph, the just? It was not by diminishing his power to love, but by elevating it that she would have her first conquest. 
and in her own spouse, the man who was a man and not a mere senile watchman. Um, and he said, Joseph was known as the father of Jesus, okay, not the grandfather. Um, titles of St. Joseph, terror of demons, chaste guardian of the virgin, model of workmen. You know, you need some vitality to kind of fulfill, have those titles. This is St. Alphonsus Liguori. Quote, St. Joseph had three privileges, which were special to him. First, that he was sanctified in his mother's womb. Secondly, that he was at the same time confirmed in grace. And thirdly, that he was always exempt from the inclinations of concupiscence. So that's kind of, um, that's not taught anywhere, de fide, you know, by our church. But a number of saints believe that, that not immaculately conceived, not at the moment of conception, but after being a fetus, being a baby in the womb at some point, actually um, forgiven of original sin. And as Alphonsus Liguori said as well, um, conf- he was so sanctified in the womb and then also confirmed in grace. What does that mean? It means like our Blessed Mother confirmed in grace, therefore she couldn't have sinned, okay, because she was so devoted. Same thing with St. Joseph. And thirdly, that he was exempt from the inclinations of concupiscence. So he would never have the temptation to lust um, or to use Mary in a, in a poor way. So that's what Alphonsus Liguori says. All right. Um, what was Joseph's marriage to Mary like? Um, in a sense, maybe, what was it supposed to be like? This is an important or kind of interesting to think about. Uh, in that gospel passage I read... And this is what Protestants will always point to us, right? That he knew her not until um, she gave birth, right? What did Protestants say? Oh, see right there, they must have, you know, um, engaged in conjugal life, you know, um, after he was born, because it says until. Well, um, heos who, that word until, has no... um, as no indication, it's not speaking about the future at all. It's just speaking up to that point of Jesus being born. So that the strictly what Matthew is saying is until she gave birth, no relations, he didn't know her, okay? It's not saying yes, afterwards he they did, he didn't know her, or not even he didn't not or he didn't know her after, okay? It's only speaking up to that point. And there's some other um, instances in the Bible that means, like, kind of shows us this. For example, St. Paul says to Timothy, until I arrive, attend to the reading, exhortation, and teaching. So Paul isn't saying, okay, attend to the reading, (coughs) exhortation, (coughs) and teaching until I come, and then afterwards you don't need to. No, (laughs) he's just saying, until I come, do that, and then presumably as well, keep doing that after. So same thing with this and Joseph. Um, people would say, <clears throat> and I might have got it even from Callaway's book, that they had actually entered into a virginal marriage. Why is this? What, why would we? That meaning when they were betrothed, they both had the understanding, not just Mary, but also him, that they would remain um, uh, chaste. Or not chaste, they would have been chaste if they, they still engaged in the marital act within marriage, but continent, that um, a virginal marriage. Mary says, how will this be for I, I am a virgin, for I don't know man, okay? 
what does this suggest? It suggests not only that she's currently a virgin, but also that she will never have sexual relations. She doesn't intend to have sexual relations. Why? Because if she intended to in the future, the angel Gabriel says, <clears throat> you know, you're going to, you know, be mother of the son of God. She wouldn't have asked that question. She'd go, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, when I move in with Joseph, yeah, okay. But she says, how does this <laughs> going to be? I don't know, man. So her intention wasn't just like not now, not living with uh, her husband, but forever, you know, how is this going to be? Because I'm not going to know man, all right? Now, and if she intended not <laughs> to um, have uh, marital relations with Joseph, don't you think Joseph would have known about that? <laughs> you know, like, oh yeah, Joseph. You know, um, now we're we're betrothed, and you know, now we're moving in. By the way, um, you know, we're not. I'm not gonna. We're not gonna. We're gonna have a virginal relation. Like that would have been understood. You don't just. I mean, imagine telling your husband that. You know, <laughs> as a, as your your wedding day. Like what? Okay. So Joseph would have been aware of this promise of virginity. All right, she wouldn't have kept it to herself. That would be something you would share with your spouse or future spouse. In fact, this is what JP2 said, right? In 1996, he said, quote, It may be presumed that at the time of their betrothal, there was an understanding between Joseph and Mary about the plan to live as a virgin. Yeah. Well, obviously, I mean, if she's going to be like, then she's going to be faithful. Yeah. Yeah. Next thing to worth considering. Why was Joseph considering the sending her away? Now, this is worth thinking about. Because what's that? So she wouldn't be punished by the Yeah, but think about what this means. So that, no, okay. Why would he even send her away in the first place? That's the thing. So what was he thinking? Did he have this understanding of having a virginal marriage with her? All right. Did Mary tell him that she was pregnant? Uh, did he not believe Mary that it was of the Holy Spirit? Okay. Maybe he found out through local gossip. Did he think Mary was unfaithful? Um, I find it very unlikely that he thought Mary was unfaithful, right? He knew her well. Like, um, maybe not as well as couples these days when they get married, but he would have known Mary well. He would, and Mary being the immaculately conceived, like, there's no way that he would have presumed her being unfaithful. All right. Um, so what's the other option? Um, so it wasn't that he was unfaith- she was unfaithful and, okay, I'm going to be nice because if I actually make a big deal about this, she's going to be stoned. And so I'm a nice guy and I'll just send her away quietly even though she was unfaithful to me. Um, I don't think that one holds water. This is what I think and what um, Callaway proposes too is what is called the reverence theory. The reverence theory. It goes like this, that he believed that she was with child by the Holy Spirit. He believed what she said, okay? And therefore, God was obviously doing something amazing, spectacular. And then, okay, therefore, I'm not supposed to be a part of this. Like, all right, we, I just had this idea of having this virginal, you know, marriage with her. I love Mary, okay? Find out she's pregnant with uh, the Son of God by the Holy Spirit. Okay, God's doing something. All right, I had these plans, but okay must not be a part of it because I wasn't thinking about that being part of our marriage. And so he decides to, he was going to divorce her quietly and move on with his life. Um, Until, or I could say out of reverence for God and out of reverence for Mary's unique and exalted role as a mother of God's son, he decides to divorce her quietly. 
So it's out of humility and the belief that this plan doesn't concern him that he decides to divorce her. But then in a dream, the angel Gabriel comes to him and says, hey, don't fear taking Mary as your wife. Gabriel tells him that he, Joseph, is to name him the baby Jesus. In other words, Joseph, you are a part of this plan. Like, I need you. You're, I'm doing something great. Um, but this isn't just me and Mary. Like, you're a big part of this. You're going to be the father. You're going to, you know, take care of Mary and Joseph. I need you. You'll be Mary's husband and the head of this marriage and family. I need you in order to have this plan succeed. This is what Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas says. Joseph did not wish to send Mary away so that he could take another wife or an account of any suspicion, but because he feared to cohabit with such holiness out of reverence, which is why it was said to him, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Um, so yeah, those are you know the, the notes I brought and things concerning. And any of those make sense? You, uh, maybe disagree with some of those thoughts or uh, any questions or well, follow-up discussion? Yeah. First. Yeah. Him, you know, yeah. That kind of makes me think he's younger too. Yeah. Yes. Like an older guy would just yeah not be as afraid of that, but like a younger yeah. guy like ooh. Like, more yeah, like yeah. older, yeah. Yes, yeah, like an older, you live longer, yeah. you're like, older, what part of his life was he yes. thinking he was giving up, giving up, yeah. 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 Yeah.
I don't know who wrote it. Amy Grant was the first one I heard. Any other questions about anything? Not even what we talked about this morning, or. I think, especially to in these days before Christmas, the test to get some taste of what this uh, longing for a savior that they desired. I mean, it was hard. I mean, they, you know, all those objective things, but then also somehow holding hope against hope. You know that God would fulfill His promise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Father Nick, do we know yeah. the names of Joseph's parents? I don't think those are. Um, I don't know of any even early non-canonical writings that would include that. Good question. Yeah. Something we had, Sula, 